I, I started buying a lot, like refinancing in my single family homes. And then I was at a point I was about 20, 20 odd units and are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again on another episode of Where Should I Invest? I am Sarah Larby. I'm excited to have you back again this week. Thank you for listening in and tuning in. Today's guest is Zishan Chowdhury, who is a real estate investor who owns about 40 plus units, started with single family properties, got into multifamilies and uh, has scaled quite quickly in Windsor, Ontario. Originally from Toronto, he's been actively investing since 2016. 2016, in, in just a few short years, has amassed 40 plus units. Zishan is uh, super knowledgeable. We talk about self-managing, we talk about how to fill vacancies, tenant screening, and so many more things. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. And one of the things I will say is last week, I announced that I was retiring October 1st and I just wanted to give you guys some more insights on that. I'm super excited, but you know, for me, it was really important to leave the door open as much as possible. Granted, there's always a little bit of risk with COVID and what the aftermath looks like, but I think I'm in good shape to take the down that I think uh, may be coming at some point. And if not, then that's fine too. No one has a crystal ball. But before you quit your job, just make sure that you've got your ducks in a row. Don't do it too fast. I know there's a lot of people that reach out to me and say, I want to quit, but it does take time. I mean, it took me seven years. I'm not saying that you can't do it sooner, but it is a lot easier to get financing and to refinance when you still have a T4 income or some type of income coming in. So just really work closely with a mortgage broker and your team to ensure that you have a good transition plan. Second thing I would say is leave the door open. Don't leave on bad terms. I mean, you know, with my boss, he and I had conversations about this probably a couple years within that time frame where I was letting him know, okay, you know, I'm probably X amount of time off. It did, did happen a little bit faster than we thought, which is awesome. But I was always very upfront with him. And I will tell you also, it's really important to have a nice boss that trusts you or a good company that trusts you and for you to also have integrity and trust that you are working while they pay you and not on on your own stuff so I think that that also helped I just made sure that you know my after hours were spent on real estate but I didn't interfere with during the day when my company was paying me I made sure that I was working for that company and I'll tell you being efficient and productive at what you do at your job allows you to be able to also move faster and scale up, make more money in your T4 income so that you can get more properties. So work with a good mortgage broker and I'll tell you, have a transition plan and do it where you are not burning any bridges as much as possible, right? And, you know, for me, it was important that the transition happened smoothly, that the person that's replacing me, he's my, one of my best reps that I have. He's been around for five plus years. I'm definitely ready to take over my role. And so I just want to make sure that as much as possible, the company is left in, in good standing and good shape. And, you know, I'm sure they'll miss me and I'll miss them too. But it's it was important for me to, to transition out. Hence why the very, very long exit date, because when I gave them the information, I gave them about three months, three months of uh, of notice. So I think ultimately they're going to be 
okay, once I'm gone, they're going to have the information that they need, which was important. And you never know, maybe one day I'll come back as a consultant if they're like, hey, Sarah, do you want to go to Chicago for a week and do some training and one week is X pay? Potentially. I mean, depends if I'm in Costa Rica or depends if I'm in town, whatnot. But it's always good to leave the door open because you never know what's going to happen in the future. So again, just plan. I'll tell you that it was a long time of planning and it was definitely long conversations with my team on, okay, you know, what do we need to do to, to get it set up and refinance what you can if you are planning on leaving your job because as soon as you don't have one, it's going to be a lot harder to do that. So definitely plan lots. But the other thing I would say is, guys, I'm going to do one more three-month Burr course. These are three months long. It's a mix of Zoom and in-person field days. You could do one or the other. You could do Zoom only if you're, if you're not in the Southern Ontario area. But I'm going to do one more for the rest of the year. That starts in September. If you are interested in the Burr course, check out my website, sarahlarby.com. Just go to the Burr section. For the infield, there's going to be a maximum of 10 people. We don't want to make it too big so that it can be very hands-on. And it is also going to have Zoom classes. So more details on that. If you want to learn how I do my Burr strategy, everything that I use, meet my team, that is going to be a great option for you. So that starts uh, in September, sarahlarby.com for that information. But now let's uh, let's talk to Zeeshan and uh, see how he's done as a real estate investor and hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Hey, Zeeshan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm excited to have you on. We met a little while back at a real estate investing event and uh, have been connected on Instagram and, uh, and you've got some great things going for you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do when it comes to real estate investing. Uh, yeah, so I'm an investor here in Windsor. I'm originally from Toronto. I recently moved down here and kind of take over the portfolio that I was, I was building while I was working downtown Toronto. I specifically do multifamily properties. So I look for value add opportunities in, I would say like six to 10 unit buildings and and larger. So that's one of my main focus now. I also manage my own portfolio and I do do some property management for some other people from out of town as well. Just being from Toronto, there are a lot of people that uh, were interested when I started investing out here. So I'm just looking after their properties as well. Yeah. So what does your portfolio consist of roughly? Like how many uh, yeah. units? Yeah, it's about 40 units now. So I started with single family and then slowly started refinancing those and getting into the larger properties. So some single families, uh, six unit, seven unit, up to a 12 unit property here in Windsor. They're all in Windsor. All right. Very cool. Yeah. So multifamily is definitely very different than, uh, than residential. And mm -hmm. what are some of the biggest differences that a listener, somebody at home might want to factor in when they're comparing the two? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with multifamily is just how they're valued, right? So they're valued like a business, right? They're all based on income. It's not re um, really based on the comparables. Right. So, so with that, you can kind of control and force your appreciation with that versus a single family home. You, yeah, you can add some renovations, but you won't really have an um, accurate number of what that property is worth without looking at other properties. So the fact that it's um, valued on their cap rates, which is, you know, their your revenue minus your expenses, you get your net, net operating income and that's weighed against a cap rate. So with that, you can kind of see you know, you can add value just by decreasing expenses or doing renovations and increasing rent. So with all that combined, you can, um, that I would say that's the biggest thing, just the, uh, the valuation part. 
Um, another thing is uh, what you can do with multifamily is that also you have occupancy is another big advantage. So you have, so let's say you have a 10 unit building, let's say if six, six people stop paying rent, you're still going to be paying your mortgage, right? So you have all these tenants under one roof. It's one commercial insurance policy. It's one mortgage to deal with. It's not a number of different, like when I was doing single families, it's all these policies and mortgages to deal with. So that's another, that's another major thing with multifamily and just tax wise as well. There's a lot more capital expenses that you could write off and it helps you during tax season as well. And yes, and a lot of the larger multifamily is also off market. So you don't really have to compete with that many people. They're usually brought within a small network of owners and brokers. So you can kind of go direct to the seller and negotiate a little bit more than you could, I think, with the single families. Yeah, that, that's actually really interesting because so I, I teach a Burr class and then the last class of, of you know, it goes on for about three months. Mm-hmm. And we just did the last class this, this weekend. And we were talking about cap rates and, you know, sometimes yeah. burring multifamily properties. All you're doing is increasing your income potentially as as renters come and go and then decreasing your expenses. And then you can go back to the bank and refinance just based on that and the cap rate that you can you can add a lot of value with very mm-hmm. minimal, if any, renovations at all. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Quite interesting. The financing is obviously different, how you qualify for the financing. There's definitely like pros and cons to both, but I do want to ask you. So one of the biggest things I also believe in, and you mentioned it is it's a lot of the property when it comes to multifamily and commercial, right? Five plus units, Mm -hmm. your RBC. But when it comes to commercial, everything gets bought and sold really behind the scenes without hitting MLS. So how do you really become involved and how do you get those properties in your you know in your last little I don't know how many years have you you've been investing but in your last little while like how how are you getting these properties under contract and finding them yeah so I I started not too long ago in 2016 but um I've literally been using an agent here in the city that that has been in the city for 30 40 years right so he knows all these owners who have all these properties paid off mortgages at this point so a, a lot of the business he does is off market and then when you get to multifamily, you know, the owners at this point, they don't want six to 10 people coming in, not serious, not firm buyers. So it's been mainly um, just networking, I guess, but that broker relationship, he, he's the one who has all these relationships with these owners for years and years. And I would say otherwise, it's, it's pretty hard if you don't have those relationships. People do wholesale multifamily as well. So you could go to a wholesaler where there's owners in a distressed situation. But my last three, three deals, have been all off market and majority of them have been like the larger multifamily as well. So through a commercial real estate broker. Yeah, no, he actually does residential and commercial. So some of these are mixed use buildings too, but yeah, he's a, just a residential and commercial. He does both. So he just, it's more that he is, he just knows the entire city. So it's been beneficial for that, that reason. So they're local. That's yeah. also pretty important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with 
thousands of real estate investors across Ontario and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have different plans, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. What about, because I always thought like if you, if you have a portfolio and you're no, not managing that or you're managing it, but you have a connection with a property manager. You know, yeah, that, is, that another, is that another option? Like, are you seeing a lot of that? On yeah, your- there's that too. Like even inspectors, to be honest, like I have a good relationship with a few inspectors here in the city. And like so- sometimes they'll, they'll know these owners that have inspected buildings for many times and they kind of pass along. Okay. This guy's shopping his property around potentially. If you want to speak to him, we can connect you. But yeah, property managers as well, they're usually the first to know, right? If there's either like a distress situation or they have a good relationship with the, the landlords as well. So that's always a good contact to have. And I manage my own properties now, but I used to use property management here. Um, and they had all the contacts as well, like you said. So you're managing 40 of your own units, plus obviously a bunch of yeah. other investors. Yeah. What are some of the processes and procedures that you've put in place yeah, so for my own portfolio, I, I use something called Buildium. I don't know if you heard of that. It's a property management software. It's um, It was based in the States. So it was created for users in the States, but they've brought on a lot of Canadian users. So they're starting to build build on like the, the, we have obviously different rules, landlord, tenant board, but you know, a lot of the stuff is standard. Like we have a way that tenants can log in and pay their rent, submit maintenance requests. So that way, I don't have to get all of these phone calls. I don't have to get all these texts. They go to like a portal and from there they can assign it to who they want to as well. Right. So I'm on there and so is my maintenance man. So I have my own maintenance man that I hired and any maintenance items, they, they know to assign it to him, right? Any like lease or payment issues, they can assign that to me or reach out to me. But I like for them to use the software as much as possible. Obviously 
there's a lot of people that are not using that software just because like they're old school, right? They're not on the internet and you know they're making cash payments, stuff like that. So there's a few of those, but with the students, it's really easy. They all use that. That's one thing. Another thing for I do my own leasing as well. I use Zumper, which is kind of consolidates all those. You make one ad and it syndicates it out to a few different resources. So Zumper at Z U M P E R. Yeah. So that goes to only thing it doesn't go to is Kijiji, but it hits like Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, Padmapper, Apartments.com, all that stuff. And that way it just gets it out to more people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How long does it take you to fill a unit? Um, well, here in Windsor, the vacancy's super low, right? Like, I mean, it's been a couple, like, couple weeks at the maximum. I have a few units that I'm trying to get leased right now, and my email for the, because I have a separate email for just listings, and it's just crazy. Like, there's so much demand right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, what are some of the things that you look for when you're screening tenants to make sure that you're not? Because you mentioned obviously in Ontario, like there's you know, <laughs> the yeah, exactly, uh, yeah, rules and regulations, right? Or the Residential Tenancies Act and the Landlord Tenant Board is uh, yeah. always, usually, well, not always, but favors that the tenant. So, what are some things? Screening is so important that you uh, you do on your screening processes. Yeah, I do have like a, a checklist that I do, but the main thing I look for is income. So, a lot of people sometimes have trouble providing that proof of income, but that's the major thing. Like it has to be, you know, definitely well over half your, your rent has to be, your income has to be like two or three times your rent. Right. So I know it's tough in Windsor with some of the, some of the people here, but I do my best to look at the income and make sure I have proof of that. If, if, if they can't support it, then we need a guarantee. That's, that's another major thing I do. Credit check, background check, even like a social media check. Right. So see what they're, what they're really living like on, on the social media sites. That's another big thing. And then always uh, do like a reference check as well. Awesome. Awesome. So with 40 plus units and I don't know how many you're managing, you've probably been to the DLTB a few times. Yeah. So I do have a paralegal that I, I send all the time. I just, I don't want to bother with that hassle of that, but I've, you know, I send out all the notices and then I, you know, if I have to file, I file online and then my paralegal handles anything in court. I just don't want to be involved with that process. So I've kind of kept myself away with um, any court hearings, but that's so, actually yeah, definitely. Really smart. Like I literally even get my paralegal to do my, my forms, like even forms? Yeah. And, like if they're moving out and I'm like, are you really going to be moving out? I'll send her to do it yeah. for like, I don't know, 80 bucks, whatnot. Like it's actually mm. gives me the drive of not having to go there and it just looks more, more professional and more serious. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's better sometimes without the face-to-face interaction, right? You just, the person behind the paper. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so how did you get started in real estate? Cause you, you were in Toronto and you looked at mm-hmm. Windsor and you're like, Hmm, Windsor seems interesting other than, you know, the, the cheapness of it in comparison. <laughs> was yeah. that the reason or was there, were there other reasons? It was, you yeah, know? it was a combination of a couple of things. Like at the time I had no real direction in my career. So I was working downtown Toronto at the time and, uh, you know, I was taking a bunch of entry level jobs. Cause I just, I got graduated from with a finance degree and then I was just bouncing around from job to job. But so I was looking for something to do, you know, passive income on the side and start building that up. So I could eventually maybe do that. I was more interested in business than, than just working on a job. So yeah, so I got looking at a bunch of different things like stocks and options. So I experimented with that. And finally it led me to real estate where um, I went to a networking meetup. Um, there was one local in Markham. I'm sure you've heard of the group. It's Real Property Investments with Monica Jasic. Oh yeah. You heard of her. Yeah. So she, um, she's the one who got me started. She's the one who pitched me these three areas and 
she she gave me these three options and she kind of gave me a quick presentation on it Barry, Hamilton and Windsor and at the time I just had $15,000 and I was like where can my $15,000 take me in these cities and it was literally just in Windsor because at the time you know we're single family homes were 70 80k in 2016 so that's why I chose Windsor initially it was hey, you're right it was just the cheapest area for me to that I could afford and the numbers made sense right absolutely yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And then, and then how did you end up moving from Toronto to Windsor? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I started buying a lot, like refinancing on my single family homes. And then I was at a point, I was about 20, 20 odd units. And this is recently just in the summer of, in August, uh, 2019. And it was, it, I decided to just manage my portfolio because property management wasn't too great for me. It wasn't working well. And um, I know I want to do this full time. And I kind of almost had uh, replace my income that I was getting from my job because the cash flow here, you know, even the single family homes that I bought, those were cash flowing like five, six hundred dollars a month. Then I just joined to multifamily and I knew that if I wanted to grow it and eventually do these burrs of these multifamilies, I had to be there because I, I was literally taking advantage of all my work times, answering all the calls and all the lenders and mortgage mortgage brokers that I was speaking to. So I decided to just make that shift and Spend some time to manage everything, create a system, and then eventually come back. So right now I'm living in one of my properties, kind of house hacking. So right, it was a renovated property, so it's, it's fine to live here for the time being and, and just spend the time uh, growing the portfolio. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the Burr strategy. And now back to the show. That's very cool. Very yeah. cool. 
So, so I want to just get an idea of like what your latest project or, you know, one of your latest project looks like, you know, in terms of price, in terms of NOI, the cap rates. Can you share some of that? Yeah, sure. So the last property I bought was in December. It was a 12 unit building and it was purchased for 1.2 million. Because this was direct to owner was the relationship that my broker had and he had it valued um, pretty much right on. I mean, it's a pretty stabilized property. It wasn't too high of the value add, but there is opportunity once you uncover it, right? It was valued at 6.5 cap, 6.5 to 7 cap rate. And um, we were lucky to get a, we negotiated a vendor take back of 150,000. So that really helps the down payment. So I had a JV partner and we both, you know, that we only ended up putting about 12% down on this property. We're going with commercial financing through a lender. And um, yeah, so in terms of the, the income and the opportunity, there is more on the expense side. So a lot of the units he's been renting as all-inclusive. And so what we're going to do is as they go vacant, and we're going to start adding, sub-metering it. But at least we can add the hydro and save some expenses there. And then also go in and start controlling the water by adding like low flow faucets or LED lighting all throughout. And just there was a lot of waste wasted and it was, they weren't being as efficient with their utilities. So that was the opportunity there. But other than that, like if you look at it, it's fairly stabilized. It's under rented a bit. But to get into it, it's, it's a great opportunity, especially with that vendor take back. There's enough room there for us to cash flow, for us to hold some money back for, for maintenance. So that's the latest project. And we're still going through that process right now of turning, turning it over. But that's a long-term hold for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think to restabilize, like it, it takes, you know, a couple years could take more because you're really not able to, it's not like Texas where you're like, everybody out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, or you're going to go in and then raise the rents however you want. So it's definitely different. Yeah. Like you have limitations, right? Then you have to compare and see, okay, when was the last rent increase done? And you can only increase rent once a year. And then if your tenants have been there for 15 years, I mean, you can try cash for keys, but Again, yeah. right, if somebody's paying four hundred dollars and the average now is twelve hundred, you know they're they're not gonna say sure. You know, let me take your three thousand dollars and uh, I'll go find something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, but not always. <laughs> that's the thing when you when you buy these large buildings, you inherit all these tenants, right? That's the one trade off. Is it'd be nice to have some vacant units, but yeah, you do get some existing tenants that are way below market. But the good thing with that, like with the cash for keys, like you said. Let's say you have to offer somebody $2,000 to leave, right? With multifamily, with commercial real estate, at least you can like estimate how much that would impact your value, right? So $2,000, you pay it out, but that's increasing your value once you increase the rents. Put that over 12 months against the cap rate, it could be like $50,000 in value that you just created by paying $2,000. So you can kind of, plus your renovation, if you have to put that in, you can kind of um, calculate exactly what, you know, if it's worth it or not. And more times it's worth it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, it's just, it's so interesting because it's such a different way to calculate it. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the market cap rate and then you look at, okay, is this going to give me a higher NOI of what? And then, you know, and you compare that and you, you do the math because if you're going to renovate a unit, but you're not going to be able to get any more rent than what you were paying before, maybe that's not the right, the right way. Right. Maybe it's okay. What, yeah like you mentioned, the low flow stuff, I think those are great ideas. Or, 
I mean, when you've got multifamily, like there are probably lots of different things that you can do to increase the cash, right? So laundry, mm-hmm. garages, beds, yeah. storage units that you yeah. can sell, you know, what are some of the things outside the box that people might not think of ways that they could increase rents? Yeah, I guess storage is a big thing. Like if you have additional space down there, why not add storage lockers and, you know, get them to pay monthly as an add-on. Laundry, we do have the coin laundry. You can add another laundry unit if it's depending on how many tenants. I've seen people put in like vending machines for more uh, for more income. In the States, I've you know, I used to follow a lot of uh, like these syndicators in the States. They're doing like all these pet fees and amenities for their pets. Which, which you, you know, can't do pay. in Canada. And yeah, you can't do... <laughs> You can't do anything pet fees, but like they had like these designated washing stations for pets and people are just paying like crazy for that kind of stuff. Right. So, but here, yeah, I think the main thing for income side, obviously renovate and increase rents, but then the storage. And if you can add a unit, you know, if you go through that whole process with the city to rezone or add a unit, I'm I'm doing that at one of my buildings. It was a commercial mixed use on the bottom, but we're converting it into two residential units. So that's, that's another area you can if you're able to add space and units then that would be a big bump too yeah absolutely yeah. so what are your thoughts on this because you know here's a, a thought i had about how a lot of renters their biggest one of their biggest possessions other than family and this and that like your material possession is like this big screen tv right you go into and i'm not you know hating yeah. on anybody renters not renters but a yeah. lot of people their biggest possession is their big screen tv so what if you bought them a big screen tv right like not obviously not the ones that are at market rent mm-hmm. but the ones that are below market rent that have lived there forever and yeah. you rent it back to them and you say, what, like, you know, why did I buy you a big screen TV and we're going to, it's going to be a hundred dollars a month. Like maybe people would actually yeah. say that. Why not? Right? Like what is it going to cost you? Six, $700. They're going to love it. And they're probably yeah. going to be willing to increase their, their rent. I don't know. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great idea. I never even thought of that. It's like a payment plan that, you know, you can put build right into their lease, right? If it's a year lease, yeah, 12 installments of this, but obviously you want it to go forward but that's, that's a great idea laundry, never... we're, we're not thinking of the stuff that like they actually would really like like i mean not that they yeah. want laundry but we're thinking like laundry we're thinking garages we're th- thinking storage like sheds hey let's add a tv but if they move out leave that tv in there i don't know yeah um, you know, or yeah. if they stay for a certain amount of time they own the tv because you don't want them like leaving at like a month after but hey, i don't know that's yeah, what i would do anyways <laughs> Especially with a especially with a large building, you can maybe get those TVs for like a wholesale price. You're getting like twelve TVs, and you know you can pass that on to the tenants. That's like that's a great idea. Awesome, awesome. I use cool. it. <laughs> hey, you know what? I've given that idea away to a few people. We're gonna we're gonna do it. My, one of my students just bought a fiveplex, so yeah. You know what? They're if the worst they say is no, and then potentially they're gonna get this really cool thing that they're gonna be all excited about. Okay, great. Let's move your rent from like you know. Are you cool with paying an extra hundred bucks? A hundred. Yeah. Bucks? Like. A lot of them might say yes. And if they'd say no, hey, whatever, quick, easy way to like, you know, especially with multifamily, Mm -hmm. (laughs) increase the NOI. So absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Any other tips that you do that you want to share with the investors, listeners? I think one thing is like to actually consider the the rent increases because some people just don't even do the rent increases. But when you factor that in on a large multifamily, even those at 2.2%, it makes a huge difference when you have like this entire building was they never did rent increases. So just by that, I was able to increase the income. And then the other thing is I have some commercial tenants too, right? It's a mixed use. So you can add the taxes, maintenance, insurance, you know, on their, on their leases too. So that's a way to um, get them to pay a portion of your water expense, your maintenance, your insurance, all that stuff. And um, cause we have a, 
on-site supervisor there as well, which, you know, I might bring in my own, my own maintenance man eventually, but we pay for that, right? So you can pass that on to that, those commercial tenants. So I'll say just more, that's not really a tip, but it's more something you just shouldn't ignore. Those yeah, kind of costs. Absolutely. Yeah. The triple net leases. Yeah. The triple net leases. Yeah. So it's a whole different ballgame when it comes to like commercial, commercial, right? Because commercial, residential, like there's still people living there. It's their homes. You, the, the Residential Tenancies Act still obviously applies. But when it comes to commercial, yeah. like storefronts or doctor's offices or mm. I don't know, pizza shops, I mean, like literally they don't pay. There's no, <laughs> there's no landlord tenant board. It's like, you know, exactly, yeah. business. So and that, you can adjust that those hard. costs annually too, right? As your costs increase, you can adjust those costs on them too. Yeah. And sometimes they'll sign a five-year lease and, you know, they have to pay it. So they, uh, and they will do a lot of renovations to like, if they have, I don't know, whatever restaurant or like a little pizza shop or some, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, they'll renovate it so that it it makes sense on their dime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they want to look after their business too. Right. So they're going to be handling that stuff right away instead of waiting for, you know, you to respond and come out and handle all that. Absolutely. So the next part of uh, our podcast is our lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You're going to give me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at Margaret at Complete pminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Uh, yeah, it's a multifamily book. It's called uh, Crushing It in, in uh, Commercial Real Estate and Multifamily. Brian Murray. Awesome. Yeah. Question number two, what is your favorite podcast? Um, I listen to a bunch. I listen to yours, Right Club, but I'd probably say Bigger Pockets. I've probably listened to them like almost every episode there. Yeah, it is a great one. It's actually what got me as well into real estate investing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun when you're not doing anything real estate related? So favorite pastime? Yeah, like I, I used to really be into sports, and especially basketball. That used to be one thing I used to do a lot. I haven't done this quite as much because it's been so busy, but that and uh, travel as well, which I'm going to be getting back to this year. But yeah, besides real estate, which we all do enjoy too, right? <laughs> Very cool. So number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Yeah, I mean, if I still had my knowledge, I would go directly right into multifamily, skip the single families and find a good off-market opportunity and partner with someone who has the cash if I don't have any cash left. All right. Great advice. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they wanted to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? 50000 I'd probably put some towards education at first. Just educate yourself and the rest, get into the a value add opportunity it doesn't have to be multifamily. It could be a burr, right? A burr is, you know, you have an opportunity to get majority of your money back. So maybe get into a single family or duplex burr. You can even house hack it and burr it that way. But the burr would probably be the best strategy. And you can even go to a private lender and get them to fund you, right? You can keep a lot of your money in your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So thanks for playing the lightning round. So Thank you. Zishan, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more? Yeah, so I am starting to get a little more active on Instagram. So, you know, you can follow me there. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, just my name, my full name. And then um, currently working, I used to have a blog, but I'm, you know, reinventing my website. So that's going to be zcorecapital.com. So that's going to be a live coming up soon as well. So you can see some updates and stuff like that there. Amazing. Any final last words of advice for the listeners? 
Um, yeah, I mean, if you know, whoever wants to get started in real estate is kind of thinking about it and hasn't taken action, I'd say just go right into it, right? You don't have to know everything. Obviously, some education is good, but kind of like I think all of us just learn by doing, right? So we all kind of got started that way and just take that leap. I mean, there's enough content online now with your stuff and all these Matt McKeever and everything else, YouTube, that you could learn a lot just by watching and seeing others do it. And then I would just say just make those offers and take action make offers and take action. That is the way to go. So thank you, Zishan, for being on Where Should I Invest and sharing your insights and all of that information. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons. And at the time, they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away. And eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that work. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.